In our search for meaning and purpose, where do we find our value? In our work? In our things? In our pleasure? Join us on Sundays as we learn from our current series, Chasing the Wind, a study on the book of Ecclesiastes. Well, good morning. We are so glad each and every one of you is here with us, whether in person, online, in one of our viewing rooms. We're just so thankful to have each and every one of you here with us. If you're in elementary age, we want to invite you if you want to take advantage of our elementary programming. It's called River Rocks. It's located right outside these doors to the left. So feel free if you haven't already joined there, you can do that or you can stay here as well, by the way. I just want to say that. But I want to make sure that that was mentioned to you and that you knew about that. And in order to get the most out of today, I want to invite you to download the Riverbend app and then to go to the section called Sunday Essentials. And then in Sunday Essentials, you'll find today's sermon notes to follow along with today's message as we continue our teaching series called Chasing the Wind. And for those of you who I don't know, my name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend. And again, we're so glad each and every one of you is here with us this morning and thankful that the heat is working because it's really cold outside, right? Really, really cold. But we're thankful that you're here with us today. And as we begin our time together, I want to just ask you this question. And it's simply this, what injustices do you see? What injustices do you see? Maybe it's the injustice that you have done to somebody or somebody has done to you or something that you see around the world. Injustice really speaks of things as they're not supposed to be. Ways in which people are treated that minimize their God-given image-bearing and likeness to him. It, it speaks of oppressing and, and holding people down and using them in a way that would objectify them for our own personal gain. And there's all kinds of ways that this plays out. And so I want you to be thinking with me, again, what injustices do you see? And as we ask that question, I also want you to do me a favor. I want you to take your political ears and do this for a moment and put that to the side and put on your biblical ears. Because when we hear the word justice, unfortunately, both on the right and the left, we have a vernacular that we use. And really what we want to do is we want to get to the heart of what the scriptures actually say, what Jesus has for us. I don't want us to see this from a political lens on either side. And even the moderates as well, right? It's not just the, the right or the left. It's the moderates as well. We want to get God's heart for this area because injustices do exist. And he has a heart for what it is that he wants to see for us and for all people. Because when you look back in Genesis Genesis 1 through 3, you see that there's a world full of perfection. And Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And as they walked with God in the cool of the day, they were able to enjoy God's presence, enjoy one another, enjoy the work of their hands. There was a way of life that they had. But then they chose to not trust God's heart towards them and believe a lie that caused them to rewrite what truth was according to to what God had for them. And as a result, we entered into a world that's marked with what Scripture calls sin. And sin is to, to miss God's standard mark for our lives, to understand that you and I, in our sure essence of who we are before a holy God, we are called sinful. And we are in need of a restoration and a rescue because of the brokenness that not only happens to us, but happens through all of creation. So there's this brokenness. 
there's this brokenness that we see throughout human history. And recently, I was reminded of just how this plays out. I was brought on and caught on to this new mini-series that was on Hulu called Dope Sick. Dope Sick. And I love the tagline here. It says, inspired by the true story of how America got hooked on a lie. And when you read and, and study what these events were and what this show talks about, it talks about how Purdue Pharma convinced the United States of America that Oxycontin wasn't addictive. And how the FDA was involved in that. And how people in the justice system turned a blind eye because of positions and because of power and because of finances. And I was talking to my doctor recently as I was getting my yearly physical. And I was talking to him about the show. And he's like, yes, I've seen this show. And he said, I remember when the pharmaceutical reps would come in and use these talking points. And they would be so convincing because they believed what they were being told was the truth. So these pharmaceutical reps believed it, and then the doctors believed it. And then what happened is, it, it, the bottle, the FDA approved a, a label that says about 1% get addicted to Oxycontin. And that was a lie. And as a result, not only did people get addicted, but even medical professionals got addicted. Some of them lost their lives. They overdosed. Some of them could not concentrate and have coherent conversations and would fall asleep at work behind the wheel as they were taking this medicine to alleviate pain. And as you look at all the, the heart of this, it really was about making billions and billions and billions of dollars. And I firsthand have seen the effect of Oxycontin in pain medicine that is not done in a way that has the best interests of the patient. And I've seen family members, their lives really unravel as a result of this fall asleep behind the wheel and have accident after accident after accident. I've seen them have to spend time in jail because they don't have the money and the resources. They can't keep a job. And so for me, I'm like, this is an injustice. This is sad. This is heartbreaking. And it gave me empathy for this person who was convinced of this lie. It gave me empathy for those who were, who were told this thing that was supposedly medically sound, but wasn't. It was fabricated to convince us of something that wasn't. And that's just one example. One example, a big example, but one example. And when we see injustice so close, it causes a response to us. It causes a response within us. And so as we think about that, here's the next part. How do we live justly in a world full of injustices? Because when we see something like that, we can pretend it didn't exist. That's one response, right? We can be like, ah, you know what? They're making this up. They're fabricating this. They're, you know, it's just a make-belief. Or, or we can become angry. And in our anger, we can start pointing the finger at everybody, tearing them down, canceling people, right? That's a, a way in which the cultures act, enacting justice in these days, in these times. But we're, no, we're told scripturally, to be angry and sin not, right? So we, there's another way that we're to respond, right? There's another way in which God wants us to respond when we see things like this. And not only is that the response, but the other response is to get so overwhelmed by it that we turn to despair. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we live justly in the midst of a world that's full of injustice, because in the midst of brokenness, praise be to God, 
there was a rescue mission that King Jesus came on. And in his rescue mission, he seeks to bring restoration to all people, to all things. And we know there's a day coming where that will be fully realized. But today we get to be a preview of that coming day. But what's so tempting, though, what's so tempting, again, is to hold on to the political leanings of what the culture says about an area like justice. And it can look like we're living justly, but we inadvertently turn into somebody like this. Judge Judy. And you're like, why, why Judge Judy? Well, Judge Judy, here's what I love about Judge Judy. J judge Judy actually gets to be the jury and the judge and gets to tell you what's right and what's wrong. And here's what she also gets to do. She doesn't have to tell you anything about her own shortcomings or failures because that's not her job to do. But you know what? I think we live in a day and age where we're a lot like Judge Judy, pointing the finger where everybody else is broken and fallen short canceling this person or that person rather rather than looking in to who we are before a holy and righteous God and then joining him in seeing the, the things that were broken restored as they're intended to be again the answer isn't to become like this the answer isn't to pretend that things aren't broken or that there's not injustice there but rather to be built around the work in the person of Jesus. Because not only was he on this rescue mission, but again, he's restoring things, including you and I. So how do we live justly in a world that's full of injustice? And I want us to hear what King Solomon had to say through Ecclesiastes. And I want to just say, this is not by any means a comprehensive, here's how you live justly. This is just coming out of Ecclesiastes 3. All right, there's all kinds of passages that we could look at. But I want to specifically hear what King Solomon said because what he said has so much bearing on us. Listen to what he says. And this is Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 16. I encourage you to use the app, your Bible app. If you need a copy of the Bible, we have free copies as well out in the hall. But listen to what he says here. This is what King Solomon says. He says, And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, what was there? What was it? Say it again. Wickedness was there in the place of justice. What else was there? Wickedness was there. So in the place of judgment, in the place of justice, wickedness was there. In other words, the places where righteousness was to prevail, there was wickedness. There was wickedness there. There were unjust scales. This is what Solomon's observing. He's observing this. And he goes on to say this in verse 17, I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. And so he says, there is going to be a judgment of both the righteous and the wicked. And praise be to God that he's not like Judge Judy. <laughs> he's perfect and holy and loving King Jesus. And we're going to give an account, Solomon says, about what we did with King Jesus. Did we put our trust in Jesus? But not only did we put our trust in Jesus, what did we do with our life? What did we do with our time, our treasure, our talent? How did we go about living our lives? We're going to give an account for this. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5 that whatever 
remains will not burn away. And what that simply means is when it's tested, it will be able to withstand the fire. Whatever's done from the right motive, the right heart, from a just place, it's going to withstand the judgment. And I know when we hear this, this is somewhat terrifying, but I want us to get it in the sense that before a holy God, we're made right with, with God through Jesus and what he has done for us. And that when Paul would talk about working our salvation out with fear and trembling, it's really just to walk in this awe and wonder of this holy, loving God. And so this is really what Solomon's getting at. He's just wanting us to see, hey, there is wickedness where the places of judgment and judgment are, but there is a day, there is a day where perfect judgment will be. Perfect, holy judgment will be. And that judgment will come from the righteous and the wicked. We will all give an account in our lives. So as we think about what he's saying, here's a couple of points I want to give to you. First, injustice exists everywhere, even in the places that represent justice. Now, I want you to hear this. Again, take those political ears off. Take them off, right? We're taking those off. This is what Solomon just said. This wasn't a Joe Velarde, hey, what's the culture saying right now? No, this is what the scriptures just said. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. And he's saying in the place of judgment, injustice, he's saying injustice is there. And what we want to be honest about is that injustice exists, but we don't want to pretend that injustice is just going to go away. We can start trying to live a life that convinces us that somehow all injustice will be eradicated before we stand before a just and holy God. And it won't. Now, we should work to that end, but then we start having a mindset of a utopia that does not exist. But thankfully, King Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make all things new. And we're going to get to rule and reign with him forever. So I want us to be honest about this. Again, that injustice exists everywhere, even in the places that represent justice. The next part of this is that Jesus is the great equalizer. He's the great equalizer. And this is good news for us because so many of us are like, who is going to rescue us from this? Who's going to restore things? Who's going to bring things back to the way they're intended to be? And that's Jesus. Jesus will do this. And we get to join Jesus today. And the way that we join Jesus today is to walk in a posture of repentance. And repentance is just simply a biblical word that means to change your mind and to change your direction and to join Jesus in what he says about you and has for you. So where in your life is, are things not just according to God's standard? And we need to be regularly confessing that. And then we need to join him, join him in seeing things as they were intended and created to be. And we're going to see that as we continue in this passage. But I want you to hear this, that Jesus is the great equalizer. And we get to join Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the rescuer. That's good news for you and me because it takes the pressure off. I don't have to be Judge Judy. <laughs> I don't have to be the Savior. I don't have to have a Herculean effort here because there's one who is going to do that. And I get to just join him and respond to him and what he has for me. Again, Jesus is the great equalizer. As we continue on, here's the truth of the matter. And we've mentioned this already, but we all will stand before Jesus, the just judge, because that full restoration is coming. 
and we will all give an account to him. And I just want to ask you, are you ready for that day? Are you living in preparation for that day that you're going to stand before the just judge, Jesus? Are you ready? Are you ready? What have you done with King Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? How have you responded to who he is, the one full of grace and truth? Is that impacting your way of life on a day-to-day basis? Are you ready to give an account? It says he's going to come back like a thief in the night. And when he comes, the question is, will we be ready? I want to be ready. I want to be ready. I want to be found living a life that is in preparation for that moment in time where I stand before him. And again, this is causing us, if we look at it the way that Solomon's describing it, with awe and wonder and seeing the majesticness of who King Jesus is, to see his majesty, to see his power, honor, and glory. See, we all will stand before Jesus, the just judge. So if we're going to live justly, the first part of this is simply, we live justly when we walk with Jesus, the just judge. We live justly when we walk with Jesus, the just judge. Praise be to God, he's a just judge. Praise be to God, he's not like what we're seeing at times on either side of the culture, completely ignore and oblivious or cancel and have indignation and hatred towards people we don't see eye to eye with or disagree with. Praise be to God, he's the just judge. And we're able to walk with him and to know him. And when we walk with him, when we let him lead us, when we let him direct our paths, it can't help but lead us to a place of having not only a posture that is just, but activity that is just. That's what Jesus would say. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. His righteousness speaks of this just living. So we're made right with God, and then we join God in seeing our lives responding, responding to what's right, and to join him in his activity of seeing things made right, and people made into a right relationship through what Jesus has done. Again, we live justly when we walk with Jesus, the just judge. Well, Solomon continues on here, and he says this, I also said to myself, as for human, as for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are like the animals. Thanks, Solomon. I appreciate that. All right? Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from the dust. And to the dust, all return. Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. And again, he's just observing life. He's making an observation here. And what he's simply saying, both animals and humans have this experience that they're created from the dust, and to the dust, they're going to return. And I got a real up-close picture of this. In one, one week's time, our neighbor's dog, Willow, and they're, they're like family to us, Mr. Randy, Miss, Miss, Miss Eileen, and Willow, they're like family to us. Ray cares so much for Willow and, and loves these guys. And Willow had an ACL tear and had an issue, and so she had to go in for this procedure. And you're seeing the severity of it. She had a hard time walking. So we're praying for Willow. 
Ray goes right up to Miss Eileen. How's Willow? We're praying. Like, just very concerned, right? And she's got this cone head on, like, you know, this for the next two weeks because she's got stitches. And you're seeing, like, wait a minute, like, this dog has a frailty. And then, and then a couple days later, I get this phone call from my little sister, Isabella, on a Monday, Monday evening. And she says, hey, Joseph, I just want to let you know, uh, dad unexpectedly has to go in for a triple bypass surgery. And so he's going in the next day, triple bypass surgery. I call her, we talk about it. They said that the heart is healthy, uh, but the, the arteries are blocked. And in our family, there's a, a lot of heart history issues, a lot of heart attacks, a lot of clogged arteries. And so we're, we're talking through this. And, and boy, did that give me a, a sense of mortality to recognize, wait a minute, thankfully these procedures have come a long way. But the fact is, it's in my history as well. And so I have to take care of not only praying for my dad and caring for my dad, but also take care of myself in different ways. I'm getting a stress test done at the end of the month because heart health is a real thing. And what does that tell me? It tells me that my life is from the dust and my life will return from the dust. And as we listen to what Solomon is saying, it brings us to this, and it's simply that all are from the dust and to dust all return. All are from the dust into dust all return. And now it gives us the sense of our mortality, but I also think it speaks of the image bearing of God that each and every one of us has. And so here's a couple of questions for us to think about. Do you live life as you are from the dust and will be returning to the dust? Do you live in that perspective? Do you live as if your life is like a vapor? Do you have that type of attitude? Do you understand, again, you're gonna stand before Jesus, the just judge, that your life here on earth isn't as long as you think it will be? And we've heard these themes throughout this teaching series and in the book of Ecclesiastes. But do you live life as you are from the dust and will be returning to the dust? Do you live that way? And here's the second question. Do you treat others as their life is from the dust and will be returning to the dust? And, and I would add, do you treat yourself that way too and others? Meaning, do you walk in a perspective that sees the value and the significance of each and every person, each interaction, the people who are closest to you, the people who are often forgotten and neglected, in our culture and society. I think about even this weekend, how we did the shine through for night to shine. Man, what a great time. I had so much fun. Oh my goodness. And what a great partnership we had with, we have with Tim Tebow Foundation and Faith Church. But it's a chance to highlight the kings and queens of the Lehigh Valley, those in the special needs community. Because they're often in our culture forgotten. So much so if you look at data, Many people, once they realize they have a child with special needs, will take the path of aborting that child. And if you've chosen to abort any child, I, this was not to throw shame on you, but rather to call you to what Christ says of you. He loves you and he has a path and a plan for you. But it's also to highlight the reality that often one of the things that's forgotten in the conversation of justice is to contend for those who do not have a voice. And specifically, our special needs brothers and sisters, those who we got to crown with royalty. 
tonight, we have an opportunity to serve our homeless, and bro homeless brothers and sisters with a ministry called Ripple. And it's a reminder that those who often, again, are forgotten, those who are left out in the cold, those for whatever reason, whatever the circumstances, are going through a difficulty, but yet have value and significance, we get to tangibly be blessed, not only by the special needs community, but by our homeless brothers and sisters by serving them. Because it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We, yes, we're seeking to bless them, but we're blessed by doing. We're blessed by them. And I know today's going to be a great day because Keith is going to be cooking some chili. And man, they're going to love that chili, right? They're going to love that chili. And, and our brothers and sisters at Riverbend are going to love on our homeless brothers and sisters in the Allentown area there. Again, these are ways that we model what Jesus has for us. And it starts with those who are closest to you, but then we look at those who are often neglected, the least, the lost, the lonely, and join Jesus in his attitude and perspective and being the hands and feet of Christ towards them. Again, do you treat others as their life is from the dust and will be returning to the dust? And we can only do that when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind and love our neighbor as ourselves. Do you understand what God says of you and how he views you? Because if you don't personalize what God says of you, it is very difficult to love people that way. We need to recognize what Jesus says of us, has for us, not for somebody else only, us as well. That will lead us to the way that we love and treat those around us. And this leads us to the next part of living justly. We live justly by treating ourselves and others with honor, dignity, and respect. We live justly by treating ourselves and others with honor, dignity, and respect. And I want to make sure we have this attitude in this posture. Every person is an image bearer of God. Every person. Every person that you come into contact with. And so this is going to lead us to have this viewpoint and perspective, first of ourselves and then of them, and to join Jesus in what he says of them and has for them. Again, we live justly by treating ourselves and others with honor, dignity, and respect. Well, Solomon continues on here in Ecclesiastes 3. He says, so I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? And so what he says is really interesting. He says to enjoy their work. There is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. Let's just say enjoy your work together on three, one, two, three. Enjoy your work. Turn to your neighbor and say enjoy your work. Enjoy your work. Enjoy your work. And he says this because he says, hey, listen, there's nothing more... There's nothing more for a person to do than to stay. There's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. They don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. They don't know who's going to take what they have earned and do with what they have, have built and, and what they have accumulated. They don't know any of that. But to enjoy their work, there's nothing better for a person to do that because it is their lot. And you hear work come up again and again, and again in Ecclesiastes. You can't ignore it. Even in these first couple of chapters, we've heard it at least four times. 
This idea of work. Work. And I know some of us are like, oh, man, I don't know how this fits into living justly. Oh, man, can we talk about something else besides work, you know? Like, I'm trying to escape work right now. But even that, I want to invite us to something better, a better vision for work. Because this brings us to the next part of our message. We live justly with how we work. We live justly with how we work. To be people of integrity, to be people who work hard, to be diligent, to the way in which we treat our coworkers, the way we treat those that we lead and manage, the way that we think about resourcing and supporting different venues and, and ways in which we can build up culture and society. We, we have something to do with that. In fact, when you get to the next chapter of Ecclesiastes, you're going to hear how there are many who are oppressed. And part of those who are oppressed are those who are working in a way that is unjust, right? But again, we live justly with how we work, with how we work. We're, we're going to do our work as unto the Lord. This is what Paul says through 1 Corinthians and Colossians. We're doing it as unto the Lord, as unto the just judge. So here's a question for you. How do you make your work worthwhile? How do you work in a way that it's worthwhile? How do we have meaning and vision and purpose to it? Because before brokenness entered the world, Adam and Eve worked. And it was a good gift. And we know brokenness has impacted the way we work, the way we view work, the way that we run away from work, or the way that we run to it in an unhealthy way that forms our identity. So how do you make your work worthwhile? Because we, this is part of living justly. Well, I want to help us to do this, and, and I want you to just bear with me as I explain this. I was at a conference recently, and these two authors wrote a book called The Future Church, and they created what's called the multiplication funnel. And I want to give you some examples of how you can make your work worthwhile. So as you look at the multiplication funnel, this really speaks about multiplying disciples who are going to multiply more disciples. There's three parts to it. There's the special calling, vocational discipleship, and ultimate contribution. All right, these are the three areas here. And so as you go through it, the first part is this special calling. And this special calling really speaks to this idea of what it is that you are specifically designed for and what it is that you're called for. As we look at the next slide here, it will help us even to further spell that out. Special calling is, again, your special assignment from God, the thing you are uniquely created to do in all aspects of your life. Vocational discipleship, doing what Jesus would do if he lived your life today, especially if he worked your job. Ultimate contribution, the cultivation, the cul excuse me, the, the, the accumulation of a lifetime of activity in your greatest legacy, especially in the people your life is re reproduced in. And it says the better you, idea you have on your ultimate contribution, the more impact you can make. And then you'll see over time when you build up others in the Jesus way, to be a disciple is to be an apprentice under the Jesus way you'll see how they're your ultimate legacy. All right, again, special calling, vocational discipleship, ultimate contribution. So we hear something like that, so what does that look like practically? I wanna give you some examples of this because it's easy to hear it and not know how to make it work for you. These are just examples. The first example that they give is a, <clears throat> a health ed teacher, 
special calling. I know I'm created to foster community where people grow holistically into who they were created to be. Vocational discipleship. I commit to learning how Jesus would teach students in a public junior high school to take care of their whole selves. Ultimate contribution. I inspire to raise up a generation of Christ-like health professionals while we develop a center where lower income people gain shalom in all dimensions of life. The next example, a landlord, special calling. I know I'm created to be a catalyst for other people's exponential growth and joy. Vocational discipleship. I commit to learning how Jesus returned distressed properties in my city into places where residents and workers can flourish. Ultimate contribution. I aspire to raise up a generation of Christ-like property developers while we convert a Rust Belt city into a paradise of opportunity where ordinary people can live extraordinary lives. Next example, a mom, special calling. I know I'm created to encourage the empty to find fullness in relationship with Christ. Vocational discipleship. I commit to learning how Jesus would parent my four boys to grow in favor with God and people as they grow in wisdom and stature. Ultimate contribution. I aspire to raise up a generation of Christ-like Bible teachers while we nurture generations to be satisfied in Christ, eager and able to satisfy others with him. Next example, a technology consultant. Special calling. I know I'm created to help people understand purpose and improve process over and over again. Vocational discipleship. I commit to learning how Jesus would serve my clients as a technology consultant in my firm. Ultimate contribution. I aspire to raise up a generation of Christ-like process improvement fanatics while I serve as a model of how to steward the most precious resource of creation, time. Next example, a musician, special calling. I know I'm created to inspire others to see beyond their limits with a limitless God. Vocational discipleship. I commit to learning how Jesus would teach young people how to sing and perform. Ultimate contribution. I aspire to raise up a generation of Christ-like musical theater professionals. Why I show my 500 co-workers hostile to, Christian, to Christians what a Christian really is. I want you to see this because I think so many times we get this and we're like, oh, this is for those that work in a church. I want you to hear me. Part of living justly is to take the vocation that God has for you and to know your special calling, your vocational discipleship, and your ultimate contribution. Run this through your own vocation, your special calling, your vocational discipleship, your ultimate contribution. Let's make our work worthwhile because that's where we spend a majority of our time. Let's get a vision for what it is that God has for us in this area of life that we find ourselves in. Let's just not grin and bear it. He says to enjoy your work. Enjoy your work, because this is your lot. And I want you to know, if we're going to see a move of God in the valley and in the world, it will not solely be and primarily be through people who are clergy. It will be through the royal priesthood of the believer. Those who are followers of Jesus and working in all kinds of different fields and industry who take this seriously and say, I'm going to make my work worthwhile. Because your work matters. It matters. It matters to God. So let's make it worthwhile. So as we continue on here, 
I want to remind us what we said throughout this message. We live justly when we walk with Jesus, the just judge. Secondly, we live justly by treating ourselves and others with honor, dignity, and respect. And thirdly, we live justly with how we work. Let's respond. Let's respond to who this Jesus is and what he's done for us by joining this one who is not only rescued, but is restoring and making all things new. It's incredible that we get to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we get to join you in what you're doing. Help us to be men and women who walk with you, Jesus, the just judge. Help us to treat ourselves and others with honor, dignity, and respect. And help us to work in a way that would worship and magnify your name, that we would make it worthwhile. Help us to understand our special calling, our vocational discipleship, and our ultimate contribution, God. Lord, we are so grateful for all that you've done and all that you've called us to. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who has yet to respond to your invitation to them to put their trust in you. Today would be the day that they would do so. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.